Alright everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. We're doing a mini-sode this week. Actually, the whole month we're going to try to do mini-sodes. We discuss animated movies. We really haven't touched upon animated movies, and uh, me and Jacob discussed it, and thought it'd be a good idea for filler during the holidays. How's it going, Jacob? Oh, it's going fine. Except for the you know food poisoning I got yesterday. What? Uh, That's Yeah, I don't know. Wrong. I mean, I went and saw Creed, and then I had Taco Bell, and then, boom, next morning, I'm like... Oh, God. I had the shits and the runs, and I had to work the eight hours. I just toughed through it. Ah, oh, that's and, horrible. And, uh, yeah. I know. It was. Never eating Taco Bell again. Uh, no, you're, you're going to eat Taco Bell again. You know you will. No. Do I'm going say... to Chipotle. <laughs> what, what? You're going to Chipotle, the place who actually has proven a long history? <laughs> no, not a long history, but a recent history of food poisoning? Oh, E. coli, yeah, but they've actually done something about it. Yeah, that's true. Talk about them. You were probably the only one that got sick at Taco Bell, and they'll never, ever know about it. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm not the only one that's sick, then hey, there's the case. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, for yeah, the next month, um, for the most part, for the next month, especially when we get busy like this, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, both me and Jacob are retail slaves. We work retail hell. And basically, we get a lot of hours during this time of year, and it's kind of hard to find the time to do the podcast. And so we found, maybe we should just do short episodes. So discussing a movie seems like the right idea. Yeah, that does work. And uh, our first episode, of course, is going to be, you'll, you'll tell by the label if you clicked on it to listen to this, is Star Chaser, which is an unabashed, uh, I can't even say the word, unabashed, um, I have a cold, by the way. Uh, let's just say I'm going to skip that word. It's just a terrible ripoff of Star Wars. Unabashed. It, it, yeah, that's right. All right. Curious. Unabashed. Yeah, you got it right. It's okay. Yeah, I know you sound a little sniffly. Every time I go to say ba, like the ba part of it, all the phlegm in my throat ah. kind of slaps to the top with a little ba. Ba. It's kind of like how like uh, Adam's jaw falls off in Beetlejuice. Oh, ba. The end after the next day. Yeah. That's <laughs> Um, so, I have seen this movie a couple times before, and I think this is the first time you had ever seen it, right? Oh, yeah, it has. And honestly, I felt like it was, like, a bit of a ripoff of Star Wars and Heavy Metal. Yeah, um, well, I think it's the company that was behind Heavy Metal, if I remember correctly. Or one of the main guys that was behind it. Oh, no, it wasn't Heavy Metal that I'm thinking of. Uh, the director, I believe, was, uh, an animator for, um... Shit, I can't remember. Uh, Ralph Bakshi. Yeah, Ralph Bakshi. Oh, yeah, that's why. Because it yeah. did have that. It did kind of remind me of the Lord of the Rings animated movies too. Yeah, that and Fire and Ice. Oh yeah, that's right. I could almost. I still have not seen Fire and Ice. I, oh god. Oh, I'm maybe I still that should be yet. our next episode. Definitely, I have to watch that next time. But yes, anyway, back to Star Chaser. So, I mean, you know, it starts off, you know, slave mining colony. You know, this, you know, really oppressed society that thinks, you know, that pretty much has to obey whatever this guy says. You know, oh, you're not, you know, you're not listening to the gods. You're not doing right. If you do right, you'll get food and this and that. You know, really dystopic, you know, brainwashed bullshit. Oh, yeah. Which it kind of has, it's kind of important now. I mean, I know people hate it when we talk politics, but there is, um, there is a moment or two in the beginning of the movie about the slave mind thinking. And I'm like, wow, we are not that far from that at all. Oh, yeah, I know. I agree. We're not even that far from uh, idiocracy. No, 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 we're, we're really close. If you lived where I live, 
you almost think it's real. I, I constantly find people talking <laughs> to me going, where y'all keep the fucking shoes? And I'm like, you're in electronics, so obviously nowhere near here. Nowhere near here at all. <laughs> I know. Well, honestly, I'm a cashier. I'm stuck up at the front, so when people ask me for this item, I'm like, I don't fucking know exactly where it is. Here, yeah. I can call someone on the radio. Jeez, don't at least you dick. have a radio. I have that old speaker system where everybody hears everything you say, and everybody knows how insanely awkward I am. So half the time I pick up that phone, I'm like, uh, uh, crap, what do I say again? <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it, like some of the design work. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was, I'm done. Yeah, as far as the design work of like some characters, I mean, it did kind of remind me a little bit of like some of the early, it looked like to me some of like the uh, early artwork for uh, Star Wars, along with a little bit, and the main character, Orin. Yeah. He kind of looked. He kind of reminded me of Link. There was a bit of a ripoff there. It was a little bit. It was a ripoff of almost everything. <laughs> there are a <laughs> lot of elements grabbed, borrowed. And this is back before people sued over this kind of thing. Now, what is that movie Lockout with Guy Pierce just got sued because it was too similar to Escape from New York? And I watched. You know, it's an homage. It's not a ripoff. So I don't understand where where that's coming from and how they won. But if you look at a lot of the movies from the late 70s, early 80s that were like from smaller companies or Italian companies, they were full-on rip-offs, and nobody ever got sued. I know, and nobody, and honestly, I think Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin is not seeing the light of the day out of fear of being sued. <laughs> Probably. Then it, again, it was, it was made very, at a different it was, time. It was very lost for a while. It was not on DVD, and I think in... Uh, uh, 2005, it finally came to disc, and um, now it's severely out of print. It's like 60 bucks for a used DVD of it. Ew. Yeah, expensive. That's outrageous. Expensive. I'm looking at it, and like some of the what was that? Uh, I know, and I'm watching it. Don't get me wrong. The fair, the the animation's just fantastic. I'm not gonna oh, yeah, lie. Definitely. I mean, that's the great thing it's got going for it. But overall, like throughout the story, throughout the uh, you know dialogue and the you know in the action. It did, well, yeah, it did kind of remind me, remind me a little bit of heavy metal. Yeah, the, um... At least the content. The, yeah, I know, when he goes to open her butt, he opens the robot's butt, and it's kind of sexual in a weird way, and you're like, wow, there's no way that this would ever be in an animated movie now. No fucking way it wouldn't, and honestly, that character, what's his name, Dig, the, uh, smuggler, or... Oh, God, I've forgotten by now, but, uh... Yeah, he is Anchor totally. A, yeah, he is totally a Han Solo ripoff. Yeah, he looks, but looks more like Burt Reynolds. Yeah, dag, <laughs> dag to bring me. Oh, he definitely has. He has more of a Lee Marvin for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, like I said, it was kind of cool to watch, at least uh, on the villains' part, where there's there that um, this kind of synthetic, organic, like mixture, like evolution. Yeah. That I thought was, I think, the most original and inspiring part about it. That's what really get. That's what really got me. By the but way, the villain Stargate fans will recognize the voice of Dag. It's performed by Carmen Argenziniano, and um, if you saw his face, you know. I can't remember the character he played on Stargate, but I know that he was ah crap. The girl, the girl on the TV show, the blonde hair. What about her? What's that? I keep forgetting her name, too. Yeah, but it was her dad, and he ended up getting, like, a symbiote in him, whatever, that kept him alive. He ended up becoming a warrior. He's actually a pretty good character. I don't know. I never watched Stargate. I mean, I watched the original movie. I never watched the actual oh, show. the series. The series is so good. I hear it was, and it went on for so many seasons, and then it was finally ended. 
just because it's been on too long. Yeah, definitely too long. And the villain, Zygon, uh, he is voiced by Anthony DeLongis. Now, you may not know who that is unless you're a huge fan of the Masters of the Universe live-action movie. He is mostly known for being like a sword master, a stunt guy, but he is the guy with Was the... he the one that played Blade? Yeah, yeah, he's Blade. Oh, uh, I thought... Yeah, I know, I knew that name was familiar. I was like, wait a minute, it has to be one of those guys. So, yeah, that's all. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And honestly, the villain, speaking of that, the main villain, he reminded me of Moturam a bit with like three mohawks. Yeah, it's... Uh... He's, there's nothing really original about this movie at all. It's very entertaining, I will say that. It never really stops and bores you. And the fact that it is such a ripoff of other movies, you're kind of entertained by that. You're like, what's the next thing that's going to come on there? Like, oh, this is from Tron. Oh, this is from Stargate. This is from Star Trek. You know, whatever comes up next. Not Stargate, because obviously that right. wouldn't exist at the time. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I think the most... So, hey, there was something original about, original about it. Jeez. But like I said, <laughs> to me, the most original thing was that... Uh, you know that that uh, like I said that uh, evolu that evolutionized organic synthetic culture. Yeah, that's what that's what what got me. That I thought was pretty pretty awesome to see. But yeah, and then there's the whole legend of the sword and the people of light and Orin going to join them and whatnot. I'm like that kind of. I was like, what? I got a little bit lost there. There is one <laughs> thing they do in this movie that I was like, huh, that was later in Phantom Menace is at the end when he does the, the jump thing, whatever, the sword and cuts the guy in half and he falls down into the lava or whatever it is. I was like, I'm pretty uh -huh. sure that's how Darth Maul just ate it <laughs> in Phantom Menace. Yep, that was. Yeah, it pretty much was. Uh, so I was like, hey, George Lucas ripped off that. <laughs> so I guess fair is fair. Uh, the director, but Steve George Hahn, a, you... A yeah, the director Steve Hahn, <laughs> after this movie, this movie was actually a huge flop. Atlantic Releasing was a hot rising company. They had uh, two or three hits right in a row that cost very little, so they had a lot of money to throw around. Uh, they did Valley Girl, Night of the Comet, and Teen oh, Wolf. Yeah. And all of them cost oh, about one, two million dollars and made a huge profit. So they decided to do an animated movie. It cost 15 million dollars. Most of it apparently going towards the 3D. This was the first animated 3D movie. And it made $3.5 million. So they lost their asses on it. Basically only made back what it cost to promote it. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of lost in time because there's no real reason to keep Indeed. it around. And those were all huge successful movies before. I mean, Teen Wolf and Night of the Comet. I love those movies. Yeah. A Valley Girl especially Not is entertaining. You don't like that one? I haven't. I'm not sure if I've seen it. Isn't that the one with um, DG Daily? Yeah, and Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I can't do the voice. You can do it. <laughs> yes, it was Nicholas Cage. It was one of my. It was my. It was my younger years. I was just trying to get started. It's just when I first kind of dropped the Coppola name to try and make <laughs> it on my own to show what I could do with my talent. <laughs> I never get sick of that. It's ridiculous how much. How many episodes, Nicholas Cage? If you are to listen to our episodes in a row and create a drinking game, uh, you have to take a drink every single time that we do a Nicholas Cage impression, an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, uh, me attempting to do a Russian that eventually evolves into a uh, Scottish by accident. Every time I say um, and every time uh, you say uh, uh, namaste and good luck, you would be just plastered. It, we would just completely sloshed. Pretty much. I don't even think they'd pay. I, I think, yeah. I don't even think they'd be able to look up the next episode afterwards. <laughs> uh, Steve Hahn, after this movie tanked, he went back to animation. He worked on Mr. T. 
He did the Care Bears movie. He was a production manager on almost all this stuff. He's a production manager. He did Fire and Ice, American Pop, Droids, which uh, we said we're going to do minisodes, but I'm definitely going to try to fit the Droids Ewoks episode in before Star Wars comes out. It's, it's my fault because I have access to very little out here in the boonies. Where basically right, it's, it's right, like it's yeah. like the hills have eyes out here. It's pretty bad with meth. With meth, yeah. But a uh, real quick question about I know there was droids, the pirates, and the prince, and then there was another one. There was there it was with the um, the pirates and the prince was you know R two and three PO getting involved in you know getting this prince back to his kingdom and ruling out and fixing it. Yeah. And then the other one was he was with a traitor named uh, Mungo Baobab. I forget what that one was called, but either way. The droids animated movies. Oh, I'll save it for later. Yeah, I was gonna say I haven't. I, I don't. I watched them when they first came out, but I was always more of an Ewoks fan. I think everybody was more of an Ewoks fan because uh, that lasted a lot longer. So that'll be our next episode. Yeah. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll really say about this is, thankfully, Steve Hahn and Jeffrey Scott both had very long careers in animation. The writer of, uh, um, I can Oh my god, this is pathetic that I forgot the name of the movie. Star Chaser. Star Chaser. I drink a lot, people. See, I play my own drinking game with this. <laughs> so it's every time I forget something, I take a shot. It helps, apparently. Uh, he worked on Dino Squad, Dragon's Tale, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He wrote quite a bit for. He wrote for the Mega Man cartoon that we both love. Uh, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, Goof Troop, Wish Kid. Do you remember Wish Kid at all? Yeah, I watched all of those. The Macaulay Culkin like, cartoon, Goof Troop right? Yeah, yeah I, pretty much, I watched... All those freaking cartoons, yeah, especially he, Goof Troop. But it gets better. This is his pinnacle right here. He wrote for James Bond Jr., DuckTales, Captain N, Rockin' Wrestling, Mask, The Littles, Dungeons and Dragons, Pac-Man, Super Friends. It just goes on and on and on. So these are two guys that really, like, their career is animation. And it was a fine career, too. It was very artistic, very fun to do. It's just a bummer that the movie didn't take off because those two guys could have had a strong career making like kind of a smaller budget uh, action-oriented cartoons. My problem with uh, animated movies is uh, they're almost always funny and they're PG or G. I want to see some more stuff like Heavy Metal. Oh, hell yeah. And, uh, My God, the, Heavy Metal was just absolutely brutal. It was very mature. Yeah, the blood, second one wasn't was very good, There was but, dead you know. things. There is another movie I want to discuss, and maybe it can be on um, our next episode. There is an animated movie that was very expensive at the time. It nearly destroyed the company, Nelvana. It is called Rock and Rule. And, uh, Jacob, I highly suggest you check that out. I'll try to find a link for you. We should totally do that and uh, uh, fire and ice. Yeah, as far as it goes for Star Chaser, I had to watch the 11 parts on YouTube because I couldn't access it Vimeo for my yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But either way, it but either way, like it didn't cut away at anything. Nothing was missed in the uh, YouTube playlist, and it went by pretty quickly. Now I'll say I think one of the reasons the movie tanked is a Atlantic didn't have as enough, you know, very much money to promote movies back then. But also their oh, posters yeah. were the worst. They have two posters and they were ridiculously awful. And uh, when you watch the movie, you're going, that's the image you wanted to put? Is the villain crossing his arms, staring off into space? <laughs> how is that supposed to, How does that pertain to Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin? That makes no sense. 
I don't know, man. You should look at the poster and just like, oh, that is who they should have been fired. Whoever did that should have been fired immediately afterwards because they did not help whatsoever. It's as if Indiana Jones was a picture of one of the that little German Nazi, you know, in the little glasses who burns his hands. Yeah. It's as oh, if that little freak. Yeah, it's as if that was the movie poster. Instead of Indiana Jones in the rock and the whip and everything, it was just that little Nazi smiling. Like, eh. It might as well have been just that. <laughs> <laughs> are you in a pit? Oh, God. Are you in, a, are you in outer space right now? Because it sounds like you uh, you have a huge echo going. Oh, no. Yeah, I, was just, uh, I was just in a little gravity room real quick. I had to find my, I had to find my little trimmers. Oh, gotcha. All right, <laughs> everybody. Beard. Sometimes my beard gets a little too out of control, and it decides to, you know, poke out all over the place and grow and lash and everything. So I'm like, oh no, nope, gotta cut you. You're too long. You're un- you're in- you're you're misbehaving. So from a history standpoint, <laughs> I say check this movie out because there's not a lot of action-oriented animated movies, and they always seem to tank, which is the pathetic part. Uh, this Titan AE, Fire and Ice. Uh, I feel like there's a couple that show up every ten years, and they always bomb, and it's just sad. Now they're all straight to video. Doesn't mean they're bad, because Warner Brothers does an amazing job. Marvel's not too bad either. But we need more original projects made for grown-ups. Oh, I know. DC's done a great job, especially with uh, Gods and Monsters. I gotta watch that one. Uh, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. We also set up a special page just for Back in Tunes. Uh, you can check it out. It's under uh, Back in Tunes. So uh, this is Michael signing off, saying be excellent to each other. And Jacob? Namaste and good luck, you guys. And be sure to sprinkle salt around your doorsteps to keep Nicolas Cage out of the house. (laughs) Good night. Welcome, everybody, to Comics on Infinite Earths, the show where we discuss major events in the comic book series. Uh, DC, Marvel, Image, you know, launching a certain series. Um, independent labels that may have disappeared, we want to discuss the history of. Or sometimes we just do random oddball episodes, just anything in the world of comics. And uh, this episode, we'll be discussing Daredevil, Born Again. Um, I'm your host, Michael, and my guest this week is a co-creator of this show, William. How's it going, William? Oh, very good. Hey, everybody. It's our first episode. I think it's funny you co-created the show, but we rarely ever do the show together. Um, yeah. Sorry, everybody. Uh, he did a few episodes <laughs> on his own. I did a couple episodes on my own. We're finally back together. <laughs> yeah, it's been like months. I know. I can't remember the last one that we did. I think we did at the end of May. It was the uh, the worst comic book movies ever. Oh, that's right. Yep. And uh, everybody who's fun. been supporting the show, we're I think this is like our ninth episode now, and uh, people are pretty much digging it. Uh, getting some positive downloads, some reviews that have been like good. And I'd be like, "What is this shit? Get this off my screen!" <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, everybody. Uh, so you get actual reviews. My podcast has never gotten a review, but really, you have a lot more listeners than I do. <laughs> uh, well, it, I get most of the reviews from uh, Back in Tunes, comics on Infinite uh-huh. Earth. I'm including into the whole Back in Tunes universe. Um, Back mm-hmm. in Tunes just hit its hundredth episode. And so Ooh. we decided to do some more, like, add video games, comic books, that kind of stuff. Because I feel like it's the same kind of audience. And mm-hmm. um, so technically, I would say that What the Fuck Tune, where we discuss, like, crazy oddball animated shows and shorts, 
Um, that's the only legitimate mm-hmm. spinoff of Back in Tunes. Comics on Infinite Earths, I just share on that page, and it has built almost the same audience. Mm, that's cool. And um, so this episode, we're discussing Daredevil Born Again, which, um, in my opinion, now that I've reflected on a lot of years of Daredevil, is still the greatest thing that has ever come out of that series. I, I don't know if you agree. <laughs> Uh, from everything that I know of Daredevil thus far, I mean, there are a lot of storylines I didn't read, but no, I would agree, yeah. Uh, Kevin Smith, actually, his was really good. I would say it's a close second, but I know it's, what's not going to make it is when <laughs> they decide to put Daredevil in metal. Do you remember they gave him that armor costume? Uh, no, I don't think I do. Oh, when was that? God. 2000s? This, oh, no, no, no. This is like during that heyday where you were collecting so much. Where, you know, it was all the, oh, what's the new gimmick? So let's give Spider-Man armor. They gave Daredevil armor for a short period of time. Um, The story itself wasn't too bad, but the gimmick was just like, oh, shit, it's 1992, here we go. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I'll have to look that up. I don't don't remember. I'll try to get you uh, Mm -hmm. the number of the issue on that one. I think you actually have it. (laughs) I think you actually Mm. own that one. That's how I know about it. (laughs) Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, they they did that with tons of people. They did that with... uh, Batman for a little bit, oh, Spider-Man, yeah. everybody. I don't know. They've done it with Spider-Man <laughs> twice, which is ridiculous, because you think they'd learn the first time. Yeah. I mean, not only is it gimmicky, and it, you know, it's not traditional, we don't like it, but also, just, like, I'm pretending like superheroes are real for just a moment here. <laughs> like, don't they learn every time that, that uh, the armor slows them down, and they can't be, you know, Spider-Man can't be Spider-Man going from you know, uh, building to building with, like, 300 pounds of armor on him, oh, I would yeah. think. Well, the first time, <laughs> I think it was, like, some sort of new webbing that he could make into armor. I'm I'm sure I got mm. this wrong. But the second time <laughs> is when Tony Stark built him an armor suit. You know, it was, like, that gold one with little arachnid arms that would come off it that would help him walk. It was just mm. like, what the fuck? This is terrible. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing is, Daredevil Born Again is probably the most legit down-to-earth, if this was going to happen. You know, Frank mm. Miller really approached this from uh, a roots... It even took away the costume. For the most part, uh, the comic book series is about Matt Murdock. It's not about Daredevil, it's about Matt Murdock. And taking away everything that he owns, just breaking him down. Yeah, you know, I never really thought about it that way, that they uh, played the realism angle so much. I mean, they definitely did story-wise. Uh, but also, yeah, I, I can kind of see that Everything in here really could have happened. Um, I don't know, much more so than when he's fighting, like, uh, I don't know, the Beyonder or crazy, you know, crazy villains or cosmic stuff or things like that. This is all this is all very earthy. Yeah, it's really dark. <laughs> this is during an era where comic books were just starting to mature. You know, Mike Grell and some of the other guys were starting to push characters into dark areas. And Daredevil mm-hmm. was just... Full on, uh, if you were to say comic books were for children only, you would hand them a copy of this and go, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of drug use, um, just everything, well, murders happen right in front of characters repeatedly, uh, very dark, yes. This feels like oh, something... Not to mention... Go. <laughs> uh, you remember their epic line, which was Mature Tales, uh, this feels like it yeah. more belongs in that. This is, this is something that would be... Um, uh, Max, you know, Marvel Max, or what was the other one they had? Marvel Knights, which was what Daredevil eventually uh, yeah. moved over to. This is much more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you're reminding me of Epic when they had things like uh, Electro Assassin. And, uh, yeah, that was part of Epic, I believe. And yet it was Daredevil-related. And it was, like, 
crazy weird and dark. Oh, uh, this yeah. would be right at home next to that series. Well, yeah, that Electra was, um, I think, around the same time. It was Senkowitz, who is a master mm-hmm. artist, who not a lot of people seem to remember anymore, uh, did a fantastic job relaunching The Shadow in the 80s. Uh, if you ever find that Electra, mm-hmm. um, definitely people need to go out and check that out. Yes, yes, I love that series. It is, like, really surreal uh, at times, but, uh, yeah, I love it. There's a lot of guys but, at that time that were trying to push the medium into somewhere else. Um, and it, in, and Frank mm-hmm. Miller does it in a way that's not, like, a slap in the face, like, here you go, this is the next level. It's It <laughs> slowly starts dawning on you as you're reading that story, like, holy shit, are we really, is this really happening? <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you said something about earlier about how dark it was, um, I just wanted to say, like, this is the most, like, depression, I I guess I'd say, I've ever seen in a comic book story. I mean, like, nobody's happy. Uh, Like, Foggy's depressed, Karen's depressed, Daredevil is just beyond. I mean, he's just absolutely down and out for most of it. Um, Well, even even the bad guy, even Kingpin, is, like, neurotic. Yeah, he's obsessed. He can't stop himself. Yeah, yeah. uh, He goes nuts about Daredevil because he's... Because he's still alive, and uh, he just and he knows he's going to come back to get him, and he just can't take it or whatever. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. start this off with where um, actually at the beginning of the story is Karen Page, um, who was supposed to be a movie star, got involved in porn, and then now she's doing heroin, and she basically sells out who <laughs> uh, Daredevil is to I think her pimp or her drug dealer, or whatever, and eventually gets to the kingpin, mm-hmm. and he uses this information. Uh, to basically destroy Matt Murdock. Uh, at first, the first time I read this, mm-hmm. I thought it was only over like a week or two period of time. You realize this is probably a year's worth of her telling somebody, and then finally everything coming to fruition. Yeah, yeah. When it starts out, um, if you look at like all the things that Daredevil says have been happening to him, it sounds like it's yeah, just lots of little things that have been ruining his life slowly. Yeah. And there's use of a lot of flashbacks, which is normal for television now. But I think it's funny that uh, in comic books, I don't think really flashing back was much of a thing either. Like, Spider-Man would do it every once in a while, just to like, oh, a moment with Gwen Stacy, like when she died, he would remember and feel the pain. This story is him in bed, cr- like just crippled uh, uh, mentally and emotionally, and then he's going back and reflecting on the tale. Uh, I don't think I realized that. Is that kind of how it starts? I'm pretty sure um, that, well, I think the very beginning is the Karen Page right. thing, then Kingpin finding out, and then it fast forwards mm. to Daredevil falling apart and then reflecting on stuff that's happened mm-hmm. and how he got to that. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely know there are quite a few um, either flashbacks or going, you know, uh, to different times and stuff. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, taking away Just his to... home and the fact that he couldn't sleep, you know, he heard every yeah. single thing and he couldn't sleep, so it was that was making him crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. I wish they'd do a movie of this because. Uh, now, have you seen the Daredevil TV series? Yes, I've seen the first season. Okay, I saw maybe two thirds of the first season, and uh, well, I I just got a little turned off by the extent of the violence. I just did not expect it, but uh, I will probably go back to it. Yeah, I think they're, how much they're of trying that... to wake Go you ahead. up and make you take you. I think they're trying to separate themselves from the movie, which was so studio, mm-hmm. so PG thirteen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is really low budget, uh, really tight shots. You know, this the, the kung fu stuff is amazing, but you can tell it's all mm-hmm. like done on the fly, like in one room location kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But was much of that inspired by this? I think they did. I think they went back to the roots. Okay. You know, I was looking this up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this story, Born Again, was originally the script. 
for um, the sequel to Daredevil, which never happened. And then um, mm. Joe Carnahan, the guy who directed Smoking Aces and um, uh, A-Team, um, he was mm. hired to do Daredevil, and he pitched them Born Again, and they rejected it. <laughs> oh, wow. They said it wasn't that, cinematic that's... enough, it's not sellable, you know, it's uh, it's going to be hard R, and they can't get that out to the people. It's, I don't know. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's a big mistake, I would say. You know, uh, you that, know that is one put... thing they do touch about on, in the movie is the fact that he does have to sleep in that submersive water tank, or whatever, to block out all the sounds. Mm, funny, um, but yeah, what if they had put like uh, like Zack Snyder on this? I think that would actually work. Um, he couldn't put any like big monsters or crazy stuff in it, but uh, I feel like uh, just the the cinematics of all this would would work for him. Yeah, I'm actually thinking know. more Wayne Kramer. I don't know if you know who that is, but he directed Running Scared with, um, oh shit, why do I forget, uh, the guy the guy from uh, Fast and Curious that passed away. Um, oh. Shit, this is terrible, I'm having a moment. Uh, yeah, I, I can't Paul remember Walker. Uh, Okay. Watch that. I was afraid we were going to be the two guys who do, don't, don't remember the guy who oh. died. No, uh, that's awful of me. Uh, no, watch <laughs> Wayne Kramer stuff. He did The Cooler with William H. Macy, then he did uh, Running hmm. Scared, which is phenomenal. And it's really dark. It's basically a fairy tale. It's a nightmare trip for this one kid uh, who steals a gun, kills his dad, and then he's on the run because Paul Walker's after him because that gun belongs to him, but it's a mob gun, which was used in a murder. So it's, mm. it's, it, it's crazy. It's like uh, if Hansel and Gretel wrote a modern fairy tale, it would be truly gruesome and, and horrifying. Mm. And that guy has the vision for Daredevil, in my opinion. Okay. Is Running Scared a recent movie? It's from about 10 years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Because I was thinking of something else, which is probably Running Crazy or something there, with Richard Pryor. So, uh, okay. I don't know what that is. Stir Crazy. But there is a Running oh, Scared maybe. cop movie with Billy yeah. Crystal and Gregory Hines. Also awesome. Okay, I was thinking of that. Anyway, um, no, I didn't know about that movie. I will check it out. But yeah, the, the show is much better than the movie. But I will say this. The movie is kind of hammered on a lot, and I don't, I don't know mm. why. Um... I've seen the director's cut of the movie, and um, they add a lot of stuff that was taken out of the theatrical cut, and they get rid of some of that shitty CGI that was added at the last minute. But it still has Colin mm. Farrell eating the scenery, like with a fork and knife and covered in gravy, and I can't <laughs> stand his bullseye. Arr. Wow. You know, I don't think I saw that movie. I think uh, I thought, Ben Affleck, this isn't going to work. And then I heard bad reviews, so I thought, well, okay, I guess I'm okay not seeing it. <laughs> but it's not that bad, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, watch the director's cut. Skip the original version. Okay. Watch the director's cut. It's much mm. better. Um, I just found out that Guy Pierce actually turned down Daredevil before Ben Affleck mm. ever was uh, approached. And I would have loved Ooh. Guy Pierce since he's so sinewy and he's got that, that deep character yeah. kind of thing going, you know, method acting. He would have killed it. Yeah. That's funny. I used to say, like, that it needed somebody like him. I think I actually used his name. Wow. And I didn't know he uh, <laughs> didn't know he turned it down. But yeah, he just he looks like a daredevil. I don't know. And and yeah. he, he would have fit in this storyline. If they had gone this dark, he would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back to the comic, we find him. He's yeah. lost his business. He's lost his girlfriend. He's lost his home. Um basically uh just completely empty all he's got is his costume and he does he barely wears it mm -hmm. in the whole series and uh you're, you're kind of mm -hmm. surprised mm -hmm. yeah i i feel like there have probably been other storylines since then where uh that's kind of the theme that like oh they've lost everything it's so terrible but like this this is the real deal like this is 
the absolute, um, I think, best anybody could do that kind of storyline. Yeah, you feel that the I'm pain. Aware of. You feel the pain yeah. that he has or his writhing. I've been in this place almost. Um, there was a time when I lost a job because I had a boss who was a complete fraud. Absolute corrupt, mm. lying piece of shit. And mm. he ended up getting me fired. I got I got denied um, unemployment. And I just sat there writhing for like mm. a week. And like, how did he win? How did he win? I didn't do anything wrong. Uh. You know, that kind of thing. And just like the agony, the obsession. It, it can destroy yeah. a man. So I understood where he was coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've been through a couple episodes kind of like that too. Um, but yeah, it just... Like and he goes kind of crazy too, which is another interesting aspect to me. Is, uh, is that um, Daredevil like kind of loses his mind for part of the story? Yeah, he almost I mean, he, becomes a villain. Yeah, yeah, he really uh, starts like not not understanding the world around him and making bad decisions. Uh, what he beats up a cop. Um, forget what all he does, but well, when yeah, Nuke he very is nearly. When he's brought huh? in, things change. I mean, he's back in his costume, but mm-hmm. he is not the daredevil he was a couple months earlier. And then he has mm-hmm. to deal with the fact that this guy is blowing up people and killing innocents. But he also has to deal with Captain America, who is involved because um, mm-hmm. Nuke is kind of a weird hybrid of his uh, super soldier serum. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a crazy character. He <laughs> He was interesting. Yeah, popping those pills. <laughs> I remember that ep- that issue, that last one with all of them. Um, mm. We talked about it on a previous episode, but those packets that we used to get for Christmas uh, with the variety of different comics in it from Marvel, um, that first mm. year, I think, is when we got that, epi- that issue. I, episode, I act like it's a new show. Um, <laughs> that um, issue where Nuke is just, just like totally destructive and Captain America and Daredevil have to take him down. Do you remember getting that? Um, I, I, I think I bought most of these off the newsstand or something because yeah, I, de- I definitely remember, remember reading it and Nuke like really st- stuck with me the whole, uh, just, he's so damn bizarre, you know, he, yeah. like he thinks he's a patriot, he's a complete psycho, he's hooked on these drugs and they just give him like total confidence, uh, and, and yeah, and he's horrible. He's like killing our people and thinking he's. He's just, you know, saving the day or whatever. I mean, we were saving us from ourselves. When we this. What was this? Eighty-five. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're eight uh, years old when this came yeah. out, and it like resonated and it kind of just sat in your brain for like, what's going on in the world? <laughs> yeah, you know, Daredevil really was a series like that for me as a kid because um, even outside the storyline, there were a lot of really dark things going on in it. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe Frank Miller just kind of set that tone in motion the next several years when he started uh you know back in the what issue 159 uh or no he didn't start writing it though till like 164 or 5 something like that anyway um but yeah there was stuff like there'd be a little kid that uh obsessed like every single day about uh whether they were going to drop nuclear bombs on the u.s jeez yeah that was in like the 230s and uh there were just like really a lot of um very yeah dark adult kind of storylines that yeah were very different from the other stuff i was reading as a kid if you look at the kids that were around you like on reflecting like back now um do you feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of the kids were oh you know kids are they're flowy and they're fun and silly Mm. and then you find yourself like brooding in the corner like the world is dark the (laughs) innocence is gone what's wrong with you i read daredevil (laughs) 
you know, yeah, maybe Frank Miller and his crap is why I was so weird and introspective yeah, we were, as a child. You know, mm. you and I were pretty, like, uh, communicative, but I think we were both pretty pensive. Like, when I was in school, I was just always lost in thought and studying people and see how they thought. Mm. I wonder if they look back and go, yeah, that Michael Cook kid, uh, I'm pretty sure he was a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, like, spent most of my time, like, watching the cool kids and trying to understand why they were cool, and why they were also being so incredibly mean all the time. Yeah, uh, you guys are douchebags. Why do, do people like you? Yeah, it was just such a hard nut to crack, trying to understand what the hell was going on yeah. uh, with them. And, and we blame it all on Daredevil now. <laughs> Frank Miller's writing was too sophisticated. <laughs> yes, uh, too know, much for kids. Most people hold up his Dark Knight Returns as the greatest thing that he's ever done, or 300, or Sin mm. City. Um, mm. They all sit on the back burner this it's just this is his best in my yeah. opinion yeah i would agree um i think close second it would be dark knight returns but uh yeah i, I can't think of anything that i like better than this i would say um, robocop 2 is fairly low on that list <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah uh but yeah especially having having read it again here recently i was com just completely blown away yep all right, so definitely check that out. And um, our next issue, issue, wow, I'm getting things so confused. Mm. I'm talking about complexes, <laughs> episodes, and episodes yeah. of issues. I, I'm crossing over. <laughs> this is some sort of like steaming thing story where it all becomes one universe. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's our backup story today? Uh, well, we <laughs> are going to do uh, a, a Hawkeye story uh, because he was never popular enough to carry his own during the mm. 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so our next episode is going to be about the Mutant Massacre, which I apologize, everybody. I think we said back in March we were going to cover that, and it's all my mm. fault because I ordered it from the library, and they're like, yeah, it's being processed. Two months later, still being processed. A month later, uh. processing. <laughs> I should have just bought the damn wow. thing. I'm an asshole. Um, but I'm cheap. <laughs> I'm cheap, okay? I'm broke. I'm broke. No, same way. <laughs> all right, everybody. So check us out on Facebook um, under Comics on Infinite Earths. Uh, those episodes are on the podcast page for Back in Tunes. And do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I guess just my podcast. It's called Comics I Read to You. So just look that up on your podcast thing. It should come up. And uh, yeah, that's about it. What Go about your, comics, uh, your, your improv? <laughs> your improv group. What's going on with that? Uh, well, yeah. If you're if you're near Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, look up on Facebook Fort Wayne Improv or. Fort Wayne Comedy Improv, or any combination of those words. doesn't matter which order they're in. And, uh, yeah, that's our that's our little group. We're getting ready to do some shows, but right now it's just we do really fun practices that anybody can come to. Cool. And, and so. what, Brian Prosane? Something, you were saying something about Brian Prosane was going to attend one of your classes or one of your group things? Oh, no, that was probably a confusing thing or something. Uh, oh. That was just me going to his show, I oh. think. Oh! <laughs> okay. Yeah. Still, that's pretty awesome. Weekend, yeah, the previous weekend we had done a big uh, thing for the city for a adventure race thing uh, where we made everybody who came do improv, but uh, no, we just went to see Brian Pussing. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> okay, uh, oh. and, and that's it. Uh, I guess, uh, everybody, uh, we are going through some rough times right now, and all I have to say is more than ever before, be excellent to each other, <laughs> and have a good night. All right. Bye, everybody.
everybody. Welcome to Stumbling Towards Adulthood. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, Tony's on the other side. How's it going, Tony? Hey, man. How you doing? All right. Uh, we finally got this episode kind of in the region of when we say we're going to do it. <laughs> Usually it takes us like two months to get a, an episode together, so I'm a little shocked that we did this so fast. Yeah, amazing. I, I, I don't know what to think. If, if things happen smoothly, it's like the uh, it's like my, my personal universe is out of balance. <laughs> I, 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 I expect disorder and, uh, and uh, chaos almost always. All right, this episode we're going to be discussing the weird white rapper phenomenon that started with the Beastie Boys and kind of went for the next six years and kind of just faded out until Eminem came around and basically legitimized white rapping for everybody. And um, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm trying to think of an idea of how to sell this episode later without making it sound like some sort of alt-right, like, oh, white rappers, we need to legitimize them. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like you you want you want them to be pure to the industry. You don't you don't want them to co-opt um, the culture. At the same time, you know um, I don't know. You don't you don't want it to delegitimize right. uh, rap by by them becoming successful. So it's hard. That's it's really a hard line to walk. You want to be when you popular embrace and ultimately to make any kind of real money and have any real success, you kind of have to cross over. But in doing so, then you you know it's weird. You, you run the risk of selling out, but Selling out to to white consumers if you're white, it's, it's really it's tricky. Well, it's it's tricky to rock a rhyme. Um, <laughs> very true, very true. True words never spoken. <laughs> uh, well, we, let's all, before we get into that though, let's also talk about the opposite of this. Why is it that you see so few um, African Americans in rock? Only like in the late '80s did you see people like in uh, Living Color and Fishbone, and that's about it. I think Kings X, I think had a, a an African American lead singer. Yeah, well, see, when uh, when white rappers first started rapping, I was afraid that was gonna. I was afraid rap was what was gonna happen to rock. Whereas you had all these African American artists in the early days of rock and roll, which started rock and roll, and then moved away from it and started doing R and B, hip hop. I was afraid that that was what rap was going to become in the future. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, so white know, people had uh, taken over, and then uh, black people would have to find some other genre. Right. Then they would find some other me- uh, medium, and then like maybe water it down and make it not as good, and we'll lose its edge. I was, I thought that was going to happen. So I, I almost, in some instances, almost was a little bit reverse racist against <laughs> against white rappers. Not because, not because I thought they were putting out a bad product because I disliked them, but because I was, you know, uh, I was afraid what was going to happen to rap if they became too popular and everyone started embracing it you know yeah the um the other thing that i noticed is that this is when studios or recording labels were trying to push their artists to make stuff more mainstream i noticed that around 87 with like fresh prince uh that rap started to get a little lighter um in its tone and um a little less street where it's more like family friendly and, and you would start seeing this stuff i think dennis leary was joking about it is that um all the commercials would have old people would be rapping, dogs would be rapping, everybody's rapping, and, and they were trying to make it as mainstream as possible. Yeah, people were rapping in cartoons. There'd be uh, commercials for cereal with rapping in it. It was like, it was like, like the, uh, it was, it's been embraced by marketing. So it's becoming, it crossed over um, uh, in, in in the mainstream culture. And then yeah, there was, I guess the, um, I guess record execs decided, hey, now this is. Already uh, now we got to make something. We got to put out a product that can capitalize on on, on that marketing. So then you ha- you have these kind of uh, more radio friendly, uh, you know, uh, rap- rappers with the uh, themes and tones that could uh, 
Malaysia, and possibly people in white suburbia, whereas before it was a, kind of just um, it, it was just kind of marketed to like a certain segment of audience. You know what I mean? Your young black teenagers in, the, in in urban areas. Yeah, it um, you know it almost becomes minstrel like with MC Hammer. <clears throat> Not that MC Hammer isn't a legitimate rapper, but you know it got kind of cartoony and silly. I mean, he li- he literally had his own cartoon. Uh, and then, of course, Vanilla Ice, both of them turned it into, like, this weird carnival show, which took away the um, the origins of hip-hop, where it was, like, about the streets, it was about, like, the struggle. You know, if there was any music that was of the people's voice, it would be uh, rap and hip-hop. Yeah, the weird thing about Vanilla Ice is uh, he just, I mean, uh, he just started with, like, these, he started making up these stories, like, uh, he was stabbed in Miami, sort of showed people a scar, and he just really tried to make himself more hood than he was, uh, which, uh, it's just, like, you know, they, they, if you're if you're just somehow perceived as unauthentic, it's just sort of ridiculous. That's what, that's what people seem to like, people who are authentic, like um, Eminem, for instance, you know, he's not... He's not claiming he's from a neighborhood. He's not. He's not trying. You know, he's not trying to be something. He's not. And you know, after a while, if you're if you're making up your your backstory, it's gonna come out. Right. You I know. mean, especially if nowadays, you, you do that now, you're gonna get ripped to shreds. But now it seems like yeah, you get ripped to shreds. But then all of a sudden, everybody forgets you and they don't care within like a week. Uh, it's a strange society. Like, um, look at Vanilla Vanilla. Way they got like shut down instantly. And Vanilla Ice, they got shut down because they were fake. And now it doesn't seem to matter to people if you're fake. It's it's bizarre. Well, I think if you're transparent from the beginning, people people seem to like that. If you're not putting on airs, if you're like, wait, man, this is this is who I am. This is where I'm from. I'm not gonna act like I'm not from there. You know, yeah. It, it doesn't make sense to it, it. It makes a fool out of both of us. You know, it makes a fool out of the audience and myself if I'm trying to like put something put something out that's not genuine. And uh, like, like as far as like the very first white rap. Not a rapper, but the very first person white rapping I've ever heard. It have to be Debbie Harry in yeah. that um, that that Rapture song, and uh, it was a weird kind of thing going on back in the um, early early eighties, I guess late seventies, because you had that kind of commingling of um, of music. So you had like the new wave, uh, progressive, uh, kind of melodic punk mixing with hip hop, because all that was happening in uh, in New York around that time. So uh, they all kind of just bought, you know slash. You know, the, the, the oh, burning embers of disco dying out. I'm trying to find her but, rap um, here. This is the very first time rap had ever gotten to the top 40. By the way, I don't know what the hell she's talking about, about eating cars and <laughs> eating bars. What the fuck was that? I don't know, man. She's just looking for words that rhyme. Yeah, <laughs> Clearly. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know who Fab Five Freddy was back then. I didn't find out till later when he became when he was on Yom TV Raps. So I yeah. don't know who he was. He was a local DJ at the time playing, playing uh, uh, rap music in its infancy. That was a weird time because you could hear elements of disco. You could hear elements of, uh, you know, of, new, of new wave you could hear, you know, elements of, of hip hop. They're all kind of commingling. Then later in the like, you know, late nineties when they tried to do that again, it didn't. The end product wasn't as what wasn't as good when they tried to like force rap and rock to uh, emerge. Oh like, right, with um, Aerosmith and Run DMC. That one, that one actually worked all right for whatever for whatever reason. Like the um, the cadence of that song was almost almost rap like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I was I was talking about more of like in the late nineties when they had. Uh, 
like Limp Biscuit and uh, your, your Kid Rocks and you know. Yeah, well, I, I think it as, starts, uh, of course, with um, the Run DMC Aerosmith connection, and then of course when Beastie Boys comes out. Did you know that it was thirty years ago today that License to Ill uh, hit number one? Holy crap! I did not know that. We're old, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what for sure, was, man. And I, the very first time I got my allowance, that's that's the first thing I bought. I got my $10 weekly allowance, and I went and bought Licensed Ill. And my dad was so mad that I spent my $10 instantly. I'm like, well, what did you think I was going to do with my $10? Yeah, it was it was a, a strange time because, um, I mean, uh, it was blew up the airwaves. I was allowed to buy it at the time. I was, I guess my mom thought I was a little too young for that. And um, But I, 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 I guess she let me believe that it was naughty. It was kind of like naughty music. Well, but, uh, in a way, I mean, it's it's probably their most risque album, I would say, in content. And I think they look back on some of the stuff they said in those first two albums, uh, a little embarrassed, you know, a little bit homophobic, a little bit sexist. Um, and I, th I think License Still is actually um, one of their weakest albums. Um, sadly, their final album, Hot Sauce Committee, uh, is a mess. And I don't think it was ever completed. I heard that there was a, actually a Hot Sauce Committee Part 1 that they never w were able to complete. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, from what I've said, is that, is, that, is that mostly instrumental, or, or was that the one uh, previous? Well, uh, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2 is a lot of instrumental. It's a lot of just experimental music. So it's a lot of weird, weird mixing of sounds. You can't tell what they're saying during a lot of the tracks. And I believe from what they were saying is that they were planning on releasing the first one, but then, of course, you know, the loss... Um, one of the members, of course, the uh, they couldn't they couldn't finish it, so it's just sitting in a vault. Sometime I don't know how they're ever going to finish it. I don't think it should be. Yeah, I, I mean, if there's, I guess if there's enough demand for it, if they want to put it out as a benefit, maybe. Maybe like, yeah, if it, if it goes to charity, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, and like you know, the they're all uh, vocal advocates of various causes. I know MCA, you know, before he died, was uh, really into like. Uh, um, putting um, funding Tibet and Tibetan freedom. So I don't know, maybe we'll put it towards that. Or yeah. um, I know, like, uh, they're embarrassed of some of the beginnings as far as the misogyny, and they they become, like, women's rights advocates. So I, I as of late, you know, so I, I don't know if maybe if they want to uh, put it towards funding certain uh, certain groups, uh, certain charities. But, yeah, I mean, if there's enough uh, public demand, um, you know, maybe, maybe someday they'll put it out. Yeah, I wonder if they'll ever perform again. I mean, you can't go on as Beastie Boys without it seeing kind of... Like, remember when TLC continued, like, ten years later, and you're like, oh, that's tacky. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I can't really see them going solo. Uh, Ad Rock and um, uh, Mike B. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if they were a duo and uh, called themselves something else, yeah. possibly. But they're definitely, they're definitely not going to get a third member in there to replace... No, no. Uh, that or maybe, maybe start that, a, a super group. What about a super group, like where they play a lot of more instrumental kind of stuff, like, you know, the way they did on, um, uh, you know, like that first track that I played, or like, um, you know, how they intersperse some of their albums with just instrumental tracks? They could just go as a jam band. True, yeah, they could do that, and then maybe throw in some, you know, some, some, some lyrics here and there. That, 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 that'd be all right. I don't, I don't think they'll ever revisit their punk roots, I think, you know. No. Um, but, uh, I mean, maybe Sabotage is the closest you had to that, but... Uh... Yeah, I think, uh, but I think, yeah, they're definitely into, like, uh, jazzy, funky kind of music, so who knows? Maybe they may, uh, yeah, like you said, create some kind of, uh, collaborate, collaborative effect with some other people and make a, uh, a, a jam kind of record. Go, go by the name Paul's Boutique or something, which we should discuss, because, you, you know, you're, you're talking License to Ill, I think, sold 10 million albums, 
And then Paul's Boutique comes out. They say they no longer want to be with Russell Simmons. They want to control their albums. They come out with this crazy experimental album that the industry loves, but the audience rejects because they don't understand what the hell is going on. And now, of course, like, you know, within a few years, it started to get really embraced, but now it's considered to be their, probably their best album. Yeah, it was a weird time because I guess that came out in the late 80s, and it was a departure from the original sound. So they kind of lost their, like, uh, Frat boy. I, I they lost they, the frat boy face. Yeah, you know, yeah they, they, they lost their party boy image. Um, so they like, you know, like, uh, it wasn't as popular, I guess, uh, among their, their original buyers of, of License to Hill. But yeah, that was, that was like actually produced. And, like, I, I think it was, uh, I, if I remember correctly, the uh, Dust Brothers yeah. uh, produced that. And it was just, yeah, amazing. Some, some really creative samples. Um, and it was re- really, really well done. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people consider that to be their definitely the finest work. You know, uh, Dust Brothers would also work with Beck in 1996 on Odelay, and you know that's not really known for being part of the hip hop genre because I think only two tracks are really heavy on. Or is it is it Odelay or did he also do Mellow Gold where he did a lot of rapping? I feel like his first track had a lot of that. Yeah, like uh, uh, like Beer Can on Mellow Gold had a lot of like uh, rapping. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as say to call it hip hop, but definitely a lot of rhyming and uh, rapping type music. So yeah, it's um, I, if I if I'm remembering correctly, I believe he had some he had some help with uh, with the Dust Brothers for uh, for Mellow Gold as well. But yeah, he um, I mean, not not all of his tracks, but he definitely there was definitely a lot of, a lot of samplings in, yeah. uh, in Mellow Here, Gold. Here on his first track, sure, you can hear he's got clearly a rap cadence. Yeah. Definitely, but he's not considered a rapper in any way. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't because back uh, I've heard in interviews doesn't consider himself a rapper. But he does. He does. But he does. Uh, but he does rap. You know, he says, "Oh, I do. I, I do rap, or what? What one would call rap, or like, uh, or like poetry music." But uh, I don't consider myself a, a rap artist. I and he's like, I don't think most people would. But uh, yeah, but it, it, but it, it, it definitely has um, some of that some of that Paul's Boutique feel to it, right? For sure. Uh, and of course, Paul's Boutique would be one of those albums. Summer 1994, my first job working at McDonald's, playing Doom nonstop on my computer. It's the summer. It's beautiful outside. What the hell am I doing? But I'm inside listening to Paul's Boutique on repeat over and over and over and Stone Temple Pilots' <laughs> Purple album. And that was my summer 94. <laughs> hey, ladies. That was, yeah, it was... It, it was everywhere and nowhere. It's a bit like it, that that album. Like so, it depends where you went. Certain stores or, or places it played a lot, but it, it was kind of missing on the radio airwaves, if I'm remembering correctly, because a little while ago. But it, it definitely didn't saturate the uh, cultural landscape like uh, like Lysa Bale did. No, for sure. no. Um, it would be impossible to do that album now. I I do not see how it's. Uh... The cost alone for all of those samples would have been just batshit insane just a few years later. But in 1989, people thought these albums were like, ah, oh, sure, I'll just take 100 bucks for a sample. Who cares? You know, $1,000. And then, you know, of course, then MC Hammer gets sued. Vanilla Ice gets sued for stealing samples. And all of a sudden, people realize the value of them. Um, especially when, like, yeah. Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre are using tons of funk samples from the 70s. And, you know, that would be impossible to make in 1992 or 93. Yeah, we, now you got to get clearance for almost anything, yeah. you know, like especially in, in like the um, 
in the uh, 80s and 90s. He had a lot of James Brown sampling. And uh, n- never, I mean, like he was, it's almost like an homage to, to the artist if you sample his work. That's the way they considered it back then. Yeah. They didn't think about getting, you know, getting royalties from that. But nowadays, it's just and if you screw up, though, man, you'll hand over everything. I mean, look at, uh, what's his name, uh, Ryan Thick or what was that kid, Thick? Ro- uh, Robin Thick. You know, he, he stole, Thicke, like, yeah. samples, and, and, and they sued the shit out of him, so it's a $10 million song <laughs> ends up being worth about $10,000 after you get sued. Yeah, I think you're allowed to get away with a certain amount of bars or notes before you have to, like, acknowledge that that's, like, the, that you're, you're borrowing from this... Um, from this track, or, or where you have to get permission, or something, something to that effect. I, I, I know it's changed, but for a, for a while, you ha- you could only it had to be a certain amount of notes, and if it goes a, a beyond that, then you'd have to get you know specific permission. I yeah. think now it's completely different. I think now you just have to get outright outright clearance. Right, you can't have a second of it, not even the slightest loop. Right. You know, in fact, sometimes using it in the show, I was kind of concerned myself. I was like, how much of this can I use before we get in trouble? <laughs> Well, I think I think we all remember like Vanilla Ice like explaining that it wasn't the same as Queens oh, of the Freshman. Oh, excuse. He added an extra note, like no, there's this dun 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 dun, dun minus dun 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 dun. I, I added an extra dun. It's not the same thing. I'm like, it's clearly the same thing. You know, <laughs> I know it's about. ridiculous. <laughs> oh my god, because you listen to it now. Here's what's embarrassing: is I still know a huge chunk of that song. I can't remember my friend's name sometimes. I'm sitting up and um um. Uh, going through the alphabet in my head, A, B, C, D, you know, I'm trying to remember the name of the person. You know, I can't remember any math, any science, but uh, you, anybody says stop, I start going, collaborate and listen, ice is back, you know, and I'll go on for another two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was super infectious. I didn't, I wasn't a fan of Ella Ice. I didn't like, I didn't like his attitude, his look, his style, but that song was everywhere. Yeah. And I, it, it was infectious. It's hard not to, not to have that, like, you know, not to have it permeate your brain and uh, and like yeah, to, like to the extreme, rock and Michael like a vandal, like, light up a stage and watch a play a candle. That can just comes out of nowhere. It's just it's always in your in your brain <laughs> it's everywhere. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Here's the weird thing: is everybody considers him a one hit wonder, but I clearly remember at least two or three other songs. Am I wrong? Do you remember any others? There was another one. I can't remember what that one was. He and copied... there might have been another one after that. Yeah, he did a cover of um, uh, "Play That Funky Music." That's true. Yeah, I I remember that. Now that you say it, he had a song uh, out when he was promoting that movie he had. Oh, cool! Then, um, was it "Stop That Train"? Stop that I think, train! I, think, I wanna get off. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And of course, you know, "Go Ninja Go" from the Teenage oh, Ninja Turtles two oh, soundtrack. Uh, you know that first Ninja Turtles movie is amazing. That second one is shit, and I count two reasons: Vanilla Ice and the fact that Bebop and Rocksteady aren't in it. They have some like Grizor and Zomac or whatever bullshit names they came up with. Yeah, that was uh, that that was like marked the beginning of the end of uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie career and Vanilla Ice's music career in one uh, <laughs> one one shot. That Cool as Ice movie is one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. And you know it was a vanity project. They signed him up, and by the time that they were done with production, they're like, oh, shit, no one likes him anymore. What are we going to do with this? Yeah, right. I never saw it. Never will see it. I oh. remember him, like, dancing around under monkey bars or something yeah, from, like, a trailer. It's mind-numbing like, bad. It, it's bizarre. It's. I remember we rented it, and it was really hard to find because I guess people were stealing copies. Um, but we rented it. And uh, I remember me and my roommate laughing so hard through all of it because it's unintentional terribleness. The best line in it is, of course, when Vanilla Ice pulls up and he's like, yo, ditch the zero and get with the hero. God. 
I, th- that was a lame line before that movie. That's like the, one of the lamest lines ever. But yeah, yeah like, it, like j- just from what I got in the trailer, it looked like some kind of hip hop footloose. And I was like, oh, I'll have no part of this. I have no part of this, sir. <laughs> it looks terrible. The whole movie is a music video. It's edited just like a music video. There's no coherency. I don't understand how the director of this movie ended up getting Inspector Gadget, a $100 million Disney movie, eight years later, when if you look at his uh, resume, he had done Cool as Ice, a couple music videos, some commercials, and then Inspector Gadget. Who does that? <laughs> yeah, it's mind-boggling, for sure. Uh. But um, besides him nearly derailing white rapping, um, we got Third Base rising up with the Cactus album uh, right at the same time. And, you know, critics are loving them. They're not selling that well, but they're critical darling. They're, they have a cult following. And then in 1991, they get this track here, which sounds like a shitty novelty track, but you've got to listen to the lyrics. Uh, this album is actually, I think, better than Paul's Boutique, but only barely. Um, the rapping is just insanely well done, and sadly, this is their swan song. You know, that was one of those tracks, was like one of the first, like, um, beef kind of tracks, you know, where people are calling each other yeah. out. Pop was that pop goes the weasel? Yeah, because uh, the weasel goes pop. Where they they at the end of the video they're like beating up uh, like a you know like a imposter vanilla ice with the bat and stuff, and <laughs> you know they're re- really really taking shots at him. Um, and then uh, you know I mean uh, MC Search went on to have a solo uh, project. It was relatively successful for a little while. At least that one song, that back to the grill again song, yeah, a lot was, of airplay. Good. Here it comes again. And it, it and it introduced me to uh, uh, who was then being called. Nasty Nas, later to be called Just Nas. That was the first time I've ever heard him. It's so weird that he was featured on a, an MC Search track, and Nas became like one of these hip hop impresarios, you know, known nationwide. You know. Yeah, it uh, it was kind of necessary though. They were fighting for legitimacy, and Vanilla Ice basically took that all away. So this was a call out track, and, and and I can't believe they got Peter Gabriel to sign off on sampling the track. I mean, <laughs> Peter Gabriel is a weird dude, and I didn't know this until like much much later, like after his major success. That he was strange. He's in all kinds of music, like music you wouldn't think he's he's into. He's in all kinds of like African and uh, and like uh, global tracks and all, all that. Dude, and he's like. He's like an, he enjoys all kinds of music, so you would think he would just like kind of stay in his lane. But like, of course, you want, you're not going to see him in the jeep bumping hip hop. But I'm, I'm sure he listens to all kinds of music that's yeah. out there. So he, he, do, he doesn't mind. So he doesn't mind if people appreciate appreciates his music because he appreciates a lot of other artists. Yeah, as well, so. he uh, third base uh, could have been huge. I think they had so much potential. And they might not have been on the top 40 tracks, but you know they would have been regulars on Yo MTV Raps. They would have been critical darlings. I don't know why they broke up. I mean, maybe the success kind of got to them. They thought they had to go their different ways. But I, I felt like that was just the tip of the iceberg for, like, many more albums to come that were just, like, amazing. Well, you know, Prime Minister Pete Nice went on to become, a, you know, a, a, a huge star after that. No, I'm just kidding. I think he owns a baseball card uh, memorabilia kind of place in Philly or something. Really? Oh, how about that? Also, the next year... What's that? Oh, sorry. There were some other uh, white rap groups around that time that that weren't as popular. Like there was like an N Too Deep. So I'm not sure if like maybe the other white uh, rappers that were around back then. I I don't know if they wanted to. If MC Search wanted to distance himself from these other white groups, like he didn't want to be seen kind of like as 
uh, a novelty know, act, maybe some kind of yeah, exactly. So I, I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it. I mean, I, I, I've I've never heard um, his explanation why they split up, so I'm not quite sure. Um, before we get to probably the final rap group of the '90s, you know, the white rap group of the '90s that was legitimate, let's talk about the biggest embarrassment. I'm not even going to play the song. Not even going to do it. I'm not going <laughs> to punish you with "Informer" by Snow. <laughs> another. Oh, that was one. That, that was another bad one, yeah, for sure. Fuck. I mean, he was like, you thought Vanilla Ice was embarrassing. Um, at least he had some rap skills. Uh, I don't understand what was up with Snow. I, he kind of was, like, good-looking, so I guess that's what sold him, because he had no skills, and he was arrogant and full of himself in those fucking glasses. You remember those stupid, like, half-down kind of shade glasses that everybody was wearing yeah, around this sure. time? Oh, either their shades are legitimate glasses, and they're supposed to be cool, and they look stupid. They look like Ben Franklin! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like I, I'm 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 street, but I'm sophisticated, but yeah. not sophisticated enough to have my glasses on my eyes, you know. <laughs> and so. uh, he, he was so arrogant that his album was called Twelve Inches of Snow," so you know he was hung like a bumblebee. You know, and also, he was doing some kind of like reggae hip hop uh, kind of thing because reggae in the um, in the early '90s started to become really popular as well. Oh yeah, so Dawson he was Fats. kind of. Yep, started br- bridging those gaps, and there was also some standalone reggae artists out like who were making waves, like uh, Shabba Ranks and some you know thing, people of that nature, like that whole dance hall scene. So he's doing that dance hall reggae, yeah, as well as hip hop, and he's kind of trying to capitalize on it. It just it seems it seems funny, you know. Am I missing anybody besides our final band, which I'm sure you can figure out the the other major band? Um, well, as as far as co-opting black. Uh, culture. I'm not sure if that was their intention when they did, when they decided this name, but like, uh, was it the five black teenagers or five oh young black god, teenagers? Oh my god, how did I forget this? Uh, young Almost black teenagers. Things. Oh my god, young black teenagers. That's what they're called. Young black teenagers. That was on my list. I, I yeah. really need to take notes before I start doing an album or b- before I start doing an episode um, because I find myself embarrassing myself. Like, oh shit, how did I forget that? Yeah, young black teenagers. And I forgot <laughs> to get a track for this. Um, that's another actually really great album. They also imploded almost immediately afterwards. Um, but, um, oh, let me try to remember the name of the album. Uh, I remember, I remember end, the song. It was like, it was like that pop the bottle in, twist yeah. the cap. Uh, that, <laughs> Dead you know. end kids doing lifetime bids. That was their second album. I don't remember anything from their first album, but I actually owned that second album. And you're right. Tap the bottle was their one top 40 hit. And they also have serious skills, and I don't know what the hell happened to them. They went their separate ways after this album, and you fucking got me. I don't know what happened to any of them. Well, the one guy, the white guy with the dreads, not as opposed to being all white, but the one guy with the dreads was in that uh, the, how, the like the last House Party movie, whatever, whatever they went to college. Yeah, that the second one, that was part two. two. There's four of them. Okay. There's four House Party movies. God, hard to believe. You know what's funny is but, uh, I, yeah, was he listening, was... I was listening to Kid and Play the other day, and I was like, how are they so popular? Because I don't actually like any of these songs. <laughs> uh, the one I didn't mind so bad cause it had, only because it had this um, DJ Red Alert sample uh, from it. Um, I can't remember how. I can't remember the song. But I, 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 I like the beat more than I like the actual lyrical content. But yeah. But yeah, they were. Uh, I mean, it was like it was marketing. It was you know hip hop marketing. They were yeah. looking fresh face, fresh face kids. Yeah, for sure. So, um, young black teenagers is weird because there's not a single black member at all. None. Yeah, I mean they're clearly trying to be ironic, um, and I, I I don't think I think they don't you know I think they meant it as uh, maybe they meant it to like as a form of homage. Like, look, the white guy is doing a what's considered a a, a black medium. 
but you know we could do it ju- just as well. And maybe if you heard us, you would think you wouldn't think that we're white. You could think you think that we're I don't I, you know I'm speculating. I have no idea, but I mean they're clearly being ironic with their, with yeah. their title. But. And that's actually an excellent album. You should check that out. And I just realized I forgot another major artist from this time period, uh, who's a A list uh, movie star now. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> oh shit! I totally forgot about that guy. Yeah. That. <laughs> oh, he doesn't want you to remember. He most definitely does not. Yeah, for sure. I remember there was like a TRL interview where like Eminem and Mark Wahlberg just happened to be there promoting whatever film he was doing, and then he was throwing jabs at him like, "Let's stand in here together like one big happy bunch," you know, like <laughs> you know throwing throwing shade as they say, uh, you know, at him being with the Funky Bunch. Yeah, he's definitely. He, I mean. You know, it's I guess it's a bitter pill because you know it, it it launched him, it made him a household name, but at the same time, you know, it, it is part of an embarrassing uh, yeah. legacy that you know. Well, it's down. shocking that he was able to turn basically like one album wonder because there were a few hits off that, um, and turn it into a movie career. Not only like just as an actor, but I mean he's been in like huge movies. No, he's a legit actor. I didn't want to like him at first because of his funky bunch, um, you know, and I wanted I wanted to discredit him because of that, you know. When he, especially when he was in that movie Fear that it came out. Like, <laughs> exactly, I was, what I was like, thinking. What Nicole is forever. this? Like, Let me in the house. I just remember that from the commercial. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, fuck this guy. Fuck you, Marky Mark. You know. Well, do you remember? Yeah, uh, this is kind of like a. It seems like a lot of rappers go into acting, but do you remember when um, Adam Horowitz? Uh, was in a movie with Donald Pleasance called Lost Angels. No, no. Oh, okay, no, I, I know his his girlfriend was in Four Rooms, but that's that's the extent. That's the only extent I had of his, uh, you know, like acting by association. I didn't know he was actually in anything uh, himself. Yeah, he's only been in a few movies. Uh, he was in that. Uh, it's weird. The Beastie Boys have a lot of ties to um, movies anyway, because he was in that. He was in um, Roadside Profits, um, and then Tamara Davis is married to. Um, Mike D, uh, she directed Billy Madison and CB4 and a couple other movies. And then um, uh, MCA, he owned a movie studio called Oscilloscope Film. So they do like small independent movies. They've done like about 20 movies. It still continues even after his death, uh, which is cool. They, they do some interesting movies. Yeah, no, I, I heard he was involved in film work. I wasn't sure, sure of the extent. Hey, but you know, as far as like, uh, you know, uh, uh, on-screen relations. Do you know if Mike D is actually related to um, uh, Dustin Diamond, aka Screech? Do you know if that's true? I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not, not, not 100% sure of that. I've always heard that rumor, but I was like, that can't be true. Is that true? They look no kind of alike, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah. <sighs> that sound you hear is me on my uh, inhaler. <sighs> <laughs> Fill some dead air. I got. I can't breathe at all. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, I just I, I wasn't sure if you had had the inside scoop. You know, you seem to, you you little you little more a uh, little more knowledgeable about uh, film and TV than I am. Certain, well, certainly more than I am. But I, I wasn't sure if you uh, were able to um, maybe snopes that rumor. Maybe a yeah. You know, well, you know, if if they are related, he's going to keep that a secret. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to tell people that. Oh well, sure. Mike D for sure. No Screech. I I guess you're right. If Screech to him or cousins, he'd probably be like screaming it a bit from the hilltops. No kidding. <laughs> he tried I mentioned I mentioned my cousin Mike D. Did I mention that he's my cousin? You know. All right. So I think that is it with the uh, the rap groups, except for this final band here, uh, House of Pain. Um, everything about them says gimmick. 
Um, you know, like, uh, this is just made by the studios to appeal to a certain audience. And after Vanilla Ice embarrassed everybody, you know, they, we're going to get the toughest guys, you know, the really legit, tough Irish guys. No one's going to fuck with them. No one's going to fuck with their fans. You know, they're almost like hooligan level. Um, this is the closest thing you'll get to, like, white gangster rap is uh, House of Pain. thought I was going to play Jump Around, didn't you? You bet you, you thought, oh, oh yeah, no, this is my Switch favorite track. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine was, was in the House of Pain song, I mean, wasn't a House of Pain fan, I should say, but he was a big fan of uh, the song they did on the Who's the Man soundtrack. Yeah, that's a good one. I, maybe it was just, just, just the bass line he was, he was in love with, but yeah. You well, know what, that, that track they had on Ju Judgment Night with the helmet was, wasn't bad. I, that yeah, actually was pretty decent. That's that, a that might actually be my, my favorite House Pain song. Oh my god, I love that. I love that movie so much. It's almost in my top ten. It's seriously underrated. Um, and that was that album was like the first, like, hey, we can do metal and hip-hop together. And that kind of became a thing. Like, you know, it showed up on a Spawn soundtrack. And then all of a sudden in 1980, sorry, 1980, 1998, we started getting like corn and lip biscuit, and, and that became like a thing, and it just sucked. It sucked so much. Yeah, see, the album showed how they can complement each other, how it's possible, but then, you know, these other bands decided to run with it and then try to like, try, try to cross over and try, try to maybe like take, uh, you know what I mean, just, I don't know. It, made, it, it turned it into something else. It, like, it, it, like, they weren't doing rap anymore. They weren't, they weren't exactly doing rock. They just, it really cheapened it and kind of douchified. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever, whatever it was that they were doing. Well, you know, before we say that, you know, it's own their, their own creation. Look at what was going on with um, Faith No More. You know, they had kind of kickstarted, um, you know, like what you consider like a metal mix with hip hop in it. Well, yeah, and also Rage Against the Machine. You know, yeah. who, 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 I, who I would, who I would argue, do it pro probably the best and do it right. You know, and uh, you know, there was some other guys who were like sort of. Talk rap like cake. He's definitely not considered a, a rap, uh, you know, a rap artist or rap performance. But yeah, but the way the way people, I mean, Kid Rock was marketed himself as a rock rapper. That's that's that was his like his kind of his moniker. And then now he's he's whatever he is now, some kind of country rock performer. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't but like, know. <laughs> um, and then but with Lynn Biscuit, they were like, a, I guess, kind of a hardcore band. And then decided to do this rap thing. I don't know if it's to sell records or just because that's what they what happened organically. That's what they were into at the time. Whatever the, the result was, I mean, it caught fire. It was really popular, but just the uh, it, for it, you know, for my, for my taste, the, uh, the quality was just not yeah not subpar. I mean, it it, uh, well, it kind of connects to the next episode we're going to do about you know twenty five years of grunge, um, how grunge was taken over by this shit rap metal. Um, and you notice nobody really looks fondly back on any of these bands except maybe Korn, because most of them were just like flash in the pan. They they were hot because the trend was hot, not because they were good artists. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think some of the other. I mean, I I know there was Korn was out, out back then. I know there were some other ones. I, I I don't know how to categorize that music. Whatever stained was and that kind of you know what I mean. Creed. I'm not sure what that kind of music was is called. I don't know what the genre is. Power I guess rock. technically it's rock, but. It's, yeah, it's like some other kind of rock. It's hard for me to put my finger on. But, uh, yeah. It's, well, you like, know what? I just rock? remembered. I don't know if that's a... There is another band that was kind of hip-hop, kind of rock, was Bloodhound Gang. You know, they were really popular for a while, and they do hip-hop.
But they have like their own weird, like almost weird owl, like cheesy kind of tongue in cheek version of hip hop. Yeah, for sure. I, I forgot. I totally forgot about them. Yeah, what I like about them is they didn't take themselves seriously. They're not trying to pass themselves off as legitimate, uh, terrific rappers or terrific musicians. They're just like, hey, this is our song. If you like it, cool. And they're making fun of themselves. Their songs were tongue. Their songs were tongue in cheek. Um, I think the DJ was from my college, Temple University. I think they're Philadelphia area guys. Yeah, but um, they are. I think yeah, they like, a song that's a, uh, like the theme song to Philadelphia. Okay, yeah, I remember that album was really popular. That one fierce coaster. Yeah, and that was that. That was every, everywhere in the early nineties. Well, and then uh, you have the one in two thousand with Bad Touch, which I think was even a bigger hit. Which is another song where if you start it up, I know a big chunk of the lyrics. Love the kind that, that, of clean up with a mop and bucket like the lost catacombs of Egypt. Only God knows where we stuck it. <laughs> Hieroglyphics. That's the song. That's the song. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're a really good band, but um, they take years and years and years between albums, and I don't understand how. Why is it so hard to write a song? It's it should take five to ten years to do an album. Apparently, they're super popular, uh, like in in Europe. They, yeah. like, they they do really well over there. Like in Belgium and Germany, and you know those places, they just you know sold out shows. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. Um, like that, that genre. I mean, it it seems like oh well, we got Fun Love and Criminals. Holy shit! I'm starting to remember all these bands. Yeah, oh, driving around, robbing banks, all whacked off the Scooby Snacks. Yeah. I, I had that album. <laughs> and they're like kind of one of the last like white rappers before metal started becoming an influence. Yeah, that was. Um, Fun Love and I, I almost I, I like to, I like it at the maybe alt rap. If that's a, if you, yeah, you know, if you can use yeah. that that word, you know, hmm. I guess you can say Beck is similar to alt rap as well. If you will, you know. Yeah, I did, I don't know what you would call. Yeah, because it, it it was something that skewed not towards um, hip hop fans so much as alternative fans. Like every like extreme, the alternative. You know, they would play stuff like that. Yeah, well, like you would definitely only hear it on uh, an alternative uh, station or like a, a rock station. You you would never hear that on a hip hop station. And back, especially in the early nineties. Um, hip hop stations and like pure hip hop fans were really trying to distance themselves from any kind of like uh, any kind of uh, like meshed project product together. They, they definitely weren't like uh, into collaborations. Uh, very different than now. Like as far as you could have, they could have like a guest vocalist from a rock band on a on a mainstream hip hop song. Yeah. Back then, they were really trying to distance themselves from like from any kind of crossover. They really wanted to be their own distinct entity, and, and they, I guess they were afraid that. Uh, you know, and any any influence from uh, mainstream pop would you know water down their product and make them you know you know uh, make them proceed as a sellout. So you really did far to see a, a distancing away from that, which actually we I guess which led to its death until the late '90s when it just kind of resurfaced again as this rap rock amalgamation or whatever that hmm. was. You know, which never got which never got any respect. I remember like Anthrax and Public Enemy did a you know yeah. Bring the Noise song, which is which is pretty good, with you know as far as uh, as far as cla- collaborative efforts go. But yeah, that's you know I can't I can't really cite a lot of examples of, of it being done well. But that's that's one of them. Yeah, it's it's pretty rare. It's it's a genre that's kind of changed because now it seems like everybody's hip hop rapping. You know, okay, what I don't know why I said that. It's like such a grandma hip hop rapping. But what is the difference between hip hop <laughs> and rap? Because I feel like hip hop to me is where you're telling stories, where rap is more like just, uh, there's no real melody, you know, like the way it is with Jurassic 5. Ah. Jurassic 5 seems hip-hop, whereas, like, if you take that out and it's more about the straight lyrics and not so much the hook and the harmony, um, that seems more rap. 
I'm, I'm totally speaking out of my ass here, but I think rap is, um, like, it's the cadence of, like, uh, just, just the spoken word, the rhyming. And hip hop is the whole, the whole shebang. It's, it's the, it's the beat, it's the, uh, it's the music, it's, you know, it's the, uh, the whole flow of it. Whereas rap just, just uh, pertains to the vocals. I could be wrong. That's what I was, you know, as I understood it, I, you know, um, but I mean, I, but I wasn't sure if you're aware that there's a whole new crop of white rappers that are just cropping up on the indie scene. Yeah. That are, that are kind of, I don't know if you ever heard of a Riff Raff or Action Bronson or G-Eazy. Some of I've these guys. I've heard of Action Bronson, but I've never listened to them. And of course, there's Nerdcore, which is like, you know, nerdy oh, right. math MC rap. And, and, and yeah, MC Chris being like the biggest star, I think, right. of that genre. Yeah, it's huge now, but I, I was kind of focusing on, you know, what was like when we were teenagers, you know where it was like this constant struggle to get noticed and respect. And um, and then it, it all fell apart with rap metal. Um, but yeah, now yeah. It's, it's universally accepted. There's some really great uh, artists out there that are of all races. Yeah, well, see, back then there was like a love-hate relationship among different races was with the, uh, with ca- Caucasian uh, rap. But, uh, but, but nowadays, you know, there, there's no, there's no uh, posturing or um, uh, kind of like falsifying your image. Like Action Bronson is... He just, you know, he comes from where he comes from. He tells you who he is, where he's from. Same with that guy Jeezy from the Bay Area. This guy Riff Raff is on another planet. That's an unusual. You haven't seen him. Check him out. He's. A, I, I can't say I'm a fan of his music. I'm definitely a fan of his personality. He's out there. Um, uh, Action Bronson. I, Action Bronson. I, I do like Action Bronson. He sounds a little bit like Ghostface Killer from uh, Wu Tang. Yeah. One of his songs was on the Suicide Squad. But I, I think I like his personality, um, his persona more than I'd like his, his ability. He's a, he's a really funny show on Vice uh, called uh, "Fuck That's Delicious." It's like his cooking <laughs> traveling show, it's hilarious. And um, that guy G Easy, and I guess of course you know there's Macklemore too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, Macklemore out of Seattle, G Easy out of uh, Oakland. But um, so that's like the, the next wave of white rappers. Who are like, you know, who are, uh, what's another one? Um, God, Post Malone's another guy I've heard. Who's like an indie, uh, an indie rapper. Who, uh, who are like, you know, uh, definitely ha- having some, like, legitimacy. You know, people I, I know, like, you know, young, young millennial kids are like, oh, yeah, that, that shit's tight, man. Post <laughs> Malone, I'm, you know, he's tight. I'm like, yeah, sh- sure. I don't <laughs> well, there's <laughs> no 303. 303, like these two doll-looking white guys, but when you hear them get behind the mic, like, holy shit, they're like monsters behind it, you know? <laughs> there, there's a guy uh, originally from the great uh, Jenkintown, this guy, little uh, Jenkintown, Philadelphia area, called Little Dicky. He's supposed to be, like, a virtuoso as far as, like, rapping ability. And, uh, but I, it's like, I would say it was kind of like comedy rap, so he's not, like, really taken super serious. Yeah. But I hear he's pretty good. N- another uh, Jew- Jewish white guy. Well, let's talk about Weird Al's rap skills. Holy shit! Who knew that he had such skills? You know, like you got a taste of it on um, uh, Amish Paradise, but then you hear it like right. um, <laughs> uh, white and nerdy. You're like, oh my god, back up! <laughs> right? Yeah. See, he's he, he, he's not a he's not a one dimensional jokester. He can he, he can joke in different genres. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's a genre which has a lot of good albums in there, but like I said, there's some embarrassing shit in there. Um, but yeah, go go check some of that stuff out if you are a fan of hip hop, especially like early '90s. You know, we're talking if you're a fan of Tribe Called Quest. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, Ed OG and the Bulldogs. You know, before Gangsta Rap took over. You know, like these these kind of like um, non they didn't glamorize 
you know, gangsta life, you know, just like, they were focused on the sound. Have you seen the TV show The Get Down on uh, Netflix? Uh, bits and pieces. Not, okay. not as much as I would like to. I lost my Netflix for a while. I just got it back. I, okay. I do mean to pick that up. As you know, there's so much content on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, YouTube. It's hard to keep track of. Track, have to keep up with anything, let alone one thing. You know, but yeah. I, I do. I do mean to. I do mean to go ahead and uh, dig into that and check check that out in a little more depth. The uh, the seventh um, episode where they deconstruct and reconstruct a song. Like the song isn't working. They want to go to this contest called the Get Down, and they're they're taking what isn't working and, and they're stripping it down and then rebuilding the song into what they believe will be the greatest hip-hop song of all time is probably the best thing I've seen in years on television. It's it's magnificent. I, I'm a big thing on details and it's like, okay, so this is how we get the hook. you got to come in here, you know, and then we loop it around and then you jump in and, and each person has its own different style of rapping. Uh, it's, it's beautiful to watch. That's really cool, yeah. Because that's—I mean—that's the way it was in the beginning when they would just like do what kind of what they thought worked organically. They didn't have some kind of like uh, overbearing producer to tell them what's going to sell. They should do it this way because you know, and that's that's that definitely when it was it was at its purest in, in the uh, early stages of hip hop for sure. Yeah, and if you are a fan of early hip hop, there is a graphic novel out there called Hip Hop Nation by Ed Piscor, um, who basically takes it back all the way to like 1973 when hip hop first started. And goes all the way up to 1990, um, and there's like six books about this. And it's beautifully well done. Uh, it, it's some of the finest cartooning kind of uh, comic booky style, uh, mixed with like a documentary of sorts. It's like a visual documentary, and it's amazing. Oh, cool. I, I haven't I haven't heard that. It definitely sounds like something someone should check out. Yeah, it's uh, oddly enough done by a white guy, <laughs> but uh, he knows his stuff. Cool. All right, so that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, hopefully we didn't forget any other artists. If there are, let us know. Um, next episode, we'll be discussing 25 years of grunge music. Um, and that's it. Check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. And uh, thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Slick as I set to move all the great masses. Masses bounce to a track that is all in. I'm dropping my quarter. I'm placing my call in. To my crew that's down with the street trends. Play around in your 40s.